Good morning. As I've told you uh, repeatedly, uh, this series of messages has been my attempt to encourage each and every one of us to embrace the greatness of God and all that he has for us, while at the same time inviting us to surrender to his embrace and the potential that he plants within each of us. Uh, We've talked about a great God, a great Savior, a great Counselor, a great life, a great commandment, a second great commandment, a great commission, and last week we looked at great grace. Of all the messages in the series, and this is the last, of all the messages in the series, uh, this has been probably my most difficult one to prepare. I suspect there are a variety of reasons, uh, two that come to mind very quickly. First, as some of you know, uh, based on my personality and temperament, I'm not naturally what you would call a hope-filled person. Um, on the optimism to pessimism continuum, um, I'm definitely closer to the pessimism end of the equation. Uh, that's why God in his divine providence blessed me with a wife and best friend who is at the other end of the continuum. Uh, it's funny how God figures those things out. And then second, for nearly four decades, it has been my privilege and my responsibility on nearly every Sunday to step up and address a group of people. And I know that virtually every time I step up to deliver a message, some of the people looking back at me are carrying an incredible burden of pain. For some, it's a physical pain. For others, it may be an emotional pain. For others, it may be relational. For others, it may be financial And I know that oftentimes, for some, there's a perfect storm of most of those. Therefore, I'm incredibly self-conscious about giving the appearance or even hinting that I'm suggesting to hurting people that it should be easy for them to embrace the great hope that God has for us. Because it's not always easy for me. It's seldom easy for me. However, the biblical truth is, regardless of how I may feel personally, and regardless of how much difficulty we may be facing individually, there is a great hope, and we are called to embrace it. So please understand today, it is not my intent in any way, shape, or form to minimize your difficulties, your heartaches, or your struggles. But instead, I want to remind you, as I often remind myself, there is a hope that we can hold on to, even in the midst of pain, regardless of how we feel. And that can be the challenge. These thoughts are what led me to my title for today, Because He Lives. Now, some of you old-timers like myself may recognize the first version of that, which was written by Bill and Gloria Gaither in the late 60s, and it became incredibly popular. And some of you have no idea who Bill and Gloria Gaither are, and that's another story for another day. We actually have a variation of this song in our current congregational playlist. But the chorus of the song says this, Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. 
because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. I'll be very candid with you as I've already been. Some portions of that come easier to me than others. Intellectually, I can get to the because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And there are some days we may need to start our day with that. You know, for me, it may be more or for you, it may be more. Because he lives, I can face today. We'll deal with tomorrow, tomorrow. But because he lives, I can get out of bed. I can put one foot in front of the other and I can keep taking another step. Because he lives, I can face today. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Now that doesn't sound like a hope that means everything's wonderful and it's all going away, but it's a hope that I will get through this day. And it's a hope that I will get through the next day. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Yeah, that's a little tougher. But sometimes it's just a matter of moving forward in spite of the fear. You know, they say, what is it? Courage isn't the absence of fear. The courage is doing what you have to do in spite of the fear. Because he lives, all fear is manageable. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. Now, friends, today, if I, if I send nothing else with you, I encourage you to wrestle a little bit with the understanding, the hope that he offers us, that even, and I'll say this again, I'm sure, but even when it doesn't make sense, he does hold the future. And because he lives, and because he holds the future, I can face tomorrow. And I can face the next tomorrow. And please understand It frightens me to even stand here and talk to you about hope because God has a funny way of testing me when I say something. But friends, again, regardless of how you feel, the truth of Scripture is the truth of Scripture. And God says we have reason to be hopeful. So again, Bill and Gloria, from what I understand, and again, the Gaithers didn't start out as contemporary. Calling them contemporary now seems almost funny, but they were contemporary Christian rock stars in the day. And they didn't start out that way. They were public educators working in the public school system. And Gloria's knack was the lyrics. Bill's gifting was the music piece. And so together they came up with these words. I found it interesting that after I'd already picked the title, and after I'd already centered in on the chorus, I worked back and I thought, actually, I'll be honest, I was searching to see what the lyrics were so I could just cut and paste them in my sermon, all right? And there was a link about the hymn story. Okay, so I clicked on it. As Gloria told me in one of several interviews in the late 1960s, now again, keep in mind those those lyrics. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. And just just understand. In the late 60s, now some of you were not around in the 60s. Some of you weren't even imagined in the late 60s. Some of us were. And it was a very tumultuous time in our country in general. 
But it says in the late 1960s, while expecting their third child, some of you know that that's pretty traumatic right there. Um, If you're the third child, nothing personal. I didn't intend anything by it. While expecting their third child, the Gaithers were going through a rather traumatic time in their lives. Now, again, they weren't famous at this point. They weren't making a lot of money off from their ministry. They were going through a rather traumatic time in their lives. Bill was recovering from a bout of mononucleosis. It was a special period of anxiety and mental anguish for Gloria. The thought of bringing another child into this world and all the craziness was taking its toll on her. On New Year's Eve, she was sitting in their living room in agony and fear. Anybody ever just been sitting in your living room? Just you and your agony and your fear? I feel better. I see at least a couple heads nod. Um, On New Year's Eve, she was sitting in their living room in agony and fear. The educational system was being infiltrated with the God is dead idea while drug abuse and racial tensions were increasing. And again, some of us remember that time. Then suddenly, and quite unexpectedly, she was filled with a gentle, calming peace. It was as if her heavenly father, like an attentive mother bending over her baby, saw his child and came to her rescue. The panic gave way to calmness and an assurance that only the Lord can impart. She was assured that the future would be just fine left in God's hand. Now, again, some of us old-timers who look back to the 60s and we look at the world today and we're still saying, I'm not sure the world's just fine. But it is in God's hands because the Word of God says so and I believe the Word of God. Shortly after the baby was born, both Bill and Gloria remembered the power of the blessed Holy Spirit seemed to come into their come to their aid. Christ's resurrection and all of its power and affirmation in their lives revitalized their thinking. To Gloria, it was life-conquering death in their daily activities. Joy once again dominated the fearful circumstances of the day. Those events gave rise to one of the most famous Christian songs for several decades. Because he lives... In this song, which begins, God sent his son, they called him Jesus. We are reminded that Christ came to this earth. And the purpose for his coming was that we might be able to face tomorrow and all of the uncertainty that it brings. Now, friends, we tend to focus, and preachers are responsible for helping to perpetuate this. We tend to focus upon Christ coming to earth to forgive us from our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, which he did. But in that process, he also gives us the opportunity and the resources we need to face tomorrow with all the uncertainty. She also reminds us that God holds the future right in his hands and makes life worth living for all who trust him. Sometimes it's a struggle. Some days we have to choose to take it by faith and not by how we feel. But that's why that story behind the song struck a chord for me. 
the great hope that the risen Christ invites you and I to embrace is something that oftentimes will transcend our understanding. It may not make sense. It may not feel right at times. It may not mesh with my personal experience in life. But friends, newsflash here. God's truth is not contingent upon how I feel. And God's truth is not defined by my life experiences. His truth trumps that. And my experience is secondary to his truth. So regardless of how I feel at the moment, regardless of what you're facing at the moment, it does not change the fact that Jesus Christ came, lived, died, rose again, ascended into heaven to give you a hope for tomorrow. There's a passage in Peter's first letter that, that speaks to this. Now, listen to it as I, as I walk through it, and, and then I'm going to come back and make a couple comments. Well, I'll make, make a comment as I go. First Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, that's where it starts. In his great mercy... He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Friends, I, I, I think a lot, and I've talked a lot for a lot of years about the new birth. That God makes us a new creation. But I rarely focus on that piece of what Peter has to say. That the new birth is not just into a relationship with God that is real, personal, and life-changing. It is a new birth into a living hope. Friends, it's a hope that, that comes off the pages and wants to permeate my life. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. His resurrection is where my hope is found. Which, this is awkward to say, but it leads me to wonder if a pessimist like me who struggles to find hope is actually denying the power of the resurrection. Oh, thank you, dear. Uh, From an optimist, of course. (laughs) But it's true. All right. He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. I'm glad it's not kept down here. But it's kept in heaven. Like some of you, I violated one of the rules of financial planning, and I looked at my pension statement this month when it came. And based on the results of the past month, um, what we store down here has a tendency to perish. All right? 
and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power, shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. I'm protected. I have the offer of protection to shield me until that last day when it all makes sense. In this you greatly rejoice. Now, again, sometimes if I were to write scripture, it would be different. Anybody else feel that way? All right. I just stopped right there. All right. If, if I'm writing to encourage people, I'm going to say, revealed in that last time, in this you rejoice greatly, period. But if you're following along, there's a comma there. It says, just, oh, by the way, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. When I think about the hope of the resurrection, and some of you have had this experience, when I'm suffering, it seems like an eternity. And many times in the areas where I've suffered, not in all yet, but in many times, eventually that suffering passes. And eventually I look back and think, oh, that wasn't a big deal. That didn't last for very long. But in the middle of it, it's like, oh, God, this is my whole life. And please understand, I'm mocking me. I'm not mocking you. In this you greatly rejoice. Though for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled, filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Friends, I, what I take from that is in spite of what I'm going through, there's reason for hope. And just taking that by faith doesn't mean the emotions go away. Somehow I'm conflicted at times and I think that if I'm hopeful, the emotions go away. But sometimes hope is just the ability to keep stepping forward in spite of what I'm feeling. Then I'm going to jump down to verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children... Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. I go back to verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Friends, I am so prone to set my hope in a lot of different places. In my own strength, in my own abilities, in my own resources, 
in my friends, in my family, in my circumstances, the call is there to prepare my mind, our mind, for action. To be self-controlled, to set our hope fully on the grace to be given when Jesus Christ is revealed. So my hope is not just in what I see today and what I face tomorrow. My hope is in what will eventually be seen when it's all said and done. And most of us, most of us have been conditioned to expect to demand immediate gratification. And the idea of waiting to see my hope fulfilled is a very, very foreign concept, but it is a scriptural one. And before I move on, I, I just, and I, and I know some of you know this, but I just want to remind you who wrote those words that I just read. His name was Peter. He was one of the twelve. When Peter decided he was going to follow Jesus, he was a bold, in-your-face, slightly overconfident, perhaps, outspoken follower who was faithful and pledged to be faithful to the bitter end. Uh, yeah, that's, that's what I expect from somebody like him to write words like First Peter chapter 1. But you also know the story that he went from this confident, faithful follower to a fearless, faithless man cowering in the darkness when he was called out for being a follower of Christ after Jesus was arrested. Literally cowering when a little girl said, you're one of them. Oh, no, I'm not. To the accusation of a little girl. That's the man who wrote these words to us. He eventually became, after he interacted personally with the risen Christ, he became humbly hopeful, even in the face of incredible persecution and pain. What I, what I take from this is knowing that Peter wrote those words and he had the audacity to say, though you suffer for a little while, this man was repeatedly beaten and imprisoned for being a follower of Christ. Tradition tells us that he was eventually arrested and sentenced to the same death that Christ faced crucifixion on the cross and tradition tells us when it came time Peter said I'm not worthy to be killed like my savior was killed so would you at least crucify me upside down and this man is writing to me and to you about hope even in the face of trials Oh, Lord, give me, give me the ability to find hope in the face of the challenges that I deal with. Because, friends, it's the same God. I don't have any easy answers. I don't have three points in a poem 
to help you embrace great hope, even when you're hurting. But I want to leave you with another story from Scripture. And it's one I've shared before, most often around Easter. And it's from John chapter 20. And again, just to kind of quick remind us where we're at. Jesus was arrested. There was a mock trial. He was beaten, publicly humiliated, paraded through the streets, and then crucified. And put in a tomb. Throughout this time, many of those who had been following Jesus kind of drifted away at least went and hid. But there were some who, who stayed close. They were there to see the beatings. They were there following along as he was paraded through the streets, carrying his heavy cross for as long as he could and, and then watching him be mocked as he went along. There were some, a very, very, very small group, who were close enough to the foot of the cross as he's dying to literally hear him whispering to them. So they're close. They're seeing it up front and personal. Many of you have seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, and, and, and just the, the gruesomeness of those images. And to think about seeing someone you love and having the, 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 the strength to stand there and watch it. One of those was a woman called in Scripture Mary Magdalene. And John chapter 20 tells us that Jesus was crucified, he's put in a tomb, and he's left there because it's the Sabbath, and, and Jews don't do anything on the Sabbath. When the Sabbath is over, early that morning, Mary gets up, Mary Magdalene, she gets up and she, she goes to the place where Jesus was buried. And she's stunned to see the giant stone rolled away. And we're told in John chapter 20 that she looked inside, and he's gone. And she freaks and she goes back to where the disciples are, and she said, I, I went, and, and he's gone. And we're told that Peter and John go running, and and they get there, and, and John gets there first because he's a little faster than Peter, apparently. And, and he looks in, and he just looks. And Peter gets in, and he goes in, and he, just, and he looks. And he comes back out, and Peter and John go back home. And, and Mary's just standing there. I, I can't even imagine. And she looks in, and, and she's, she's, she's sobbing. She's distraught. And she looks in, and there's an angel at the foot of where Jesus' body laid in one at the head. And, and, and they say, why are you crying? <laughs> it's like, really? I mean, if I were Mary, I would be like, duh, what are you thinking? What a question. And so why are you crying? We're told that Mary turns away and she sees someone standing there and she, she thinks it's the gardener. And she says, sir, if you know where they've taken him, will you please tell me? She doesn't recognize that it's Jesus she's talking to. And he, and he says to her, he says, Mary. And friends, when he speaks her name, she recognizes him. And in that moment, 
even though she still didn't understand, even though her life from that moment on was still very, 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 very difficult because she was a follower of Christ and that was not a popular thing. But in that moment, when she heard him speak her name, she went from hopeless to hopeful. She didn't understand everything. She still had a deep sense of loss. She was still incredibly confused. But when she heard her name, there was hope. And friends, I I can't tell you what it will look like. I can't tell you how it will come. But I can tell you that when you need him, he desperately wants you to hear him calling your name. And he wants to walk with you through whatever it is you're facing. I don't know how he talks to you, but I know he wants to. Whether it's through a friend, whether it's through music, whether it's through reading scripture, whether it's through just staring out the window, I don't know. But I do know he wants to speak to you. And I do know that when you need hope, he's calling your name because he wants to give you hope. May not change any of your circumstances whatsoever but it may give you just what you need to take the next step and the next step. Because he lives, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Pray with me. Father, as I've admitted, I, I, don't, I don't have any, any answers. I wish sometimes I was smart enough to say stuff that made people's heartaches and hurts and struggles go away. But the best I got is to remind us all that because he lives, we can face tomorrow. And Father, for those here today who came and they're just feeling beat up, maybe nobody else even knows I pray that you would help them hear your voice. Help them to hear you saying, Oh, my child, it's going to get better one day. I've prepared a place for you, and I will help you get there one step at a time. Father, help us to understand that. Help us to feel just that glimmer of hope that knowing because you live, we can And we will face tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Father, I thank you for hope, even when I don't understand it. I thank you for blessing me with people who surround me and remind me of that truth. And I pray that we can find ways to encourage one another, not with simple platitudes, but with the reality that there will come a day when it's all going to be right. And our goal, our job, our responsibility is to remain faithful along the way. I thank you, Jesus. Amen. Worship team.